My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome to another episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I am Jason Woodbury, and for this episode, I spoke with Noah Lennox and Peter Kember, aka Panda Bear and Sonic Boom. Both solo and as members of Animal Collective and Spaceman 3, respectively, they've made some of my favorite records, and their collaborative new one, it's called Reset, ranks high in their considerable discographies. Built on loops that Kember made of doo-wop and early rock and roll records, it blends beatific melodies with subversive lyrics and vocal pileups a la the Beach Boys. It's one of my favorite records of 2022, and it was an absolute blast to connect with these frequent collaborators from their places in Portugal following a night of celebration. We discussed the role of memory in music, uh, a little bit on musical time travel. We get into Bucky Fuller, the acclaimed futurist. Uh, There's something here for everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Aquarium Drunker Transmissions. We're so glad to have you here with us. All right, let's get into it. Here's Panda Bear and Sonic Boom discussing Reset. thing for a, a person who's about to do an interview with artists like i've been thinking a lot about your record <laughs> yeah of course i have <laughs> i'm going to talk to you guys about it um you, you might be surprised sometimes <laughs> it doesn't always work that way <laughs> I, i've been thinking though it's you know it's one of those things where the the best music for me exhibits a kind of polarity or like embodies a kind of polarity and there is a kind of darkness to the record and a sort of grim quality to some of the lyrics but when you combine that with the exuberance of the music it just creates this really interesting emotional landscape i think i read maybe in an interview with philip sherburn you guys refer to it as a children's record uh, in some way is that is that right children of all ages <laughs> yeah yes one to a hundred <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but it's a yeah there's something it's just yeah it's it's really fantastic it sounds like it was a real joy to make would you guys categorize it that way colors always look better if they're again next to black so it's uh might be a similar phenomenon where you get the contrast and uh gives you uh different perspective on things so i think having the dark and nothing is 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 okay no yeah we we made it we started making it kind of like in the first lockdown phase when things felt (laughs) really really bleak and uh for me and i think for pete as well working on this stuff became like 
a really good escape or it felt like the only thing that would really take my mind off the kind of spinning outside. Yeah. So, uh, it was, uh, it felt really good. Uh, yeah. and it was kind of like a, uh, it's corny to say blessing, but something like that. Maybe it's corny to say blessing, but I also think it's kind of, kind of cool to say blessing because I think that, you know, when we think about, when I think back to the early days of the lockdown here, I don't know exactly what it was like in Portugal. I mean, was it a pretty like, because here in, I'm in Arizona and the lockdown was basically like, don't, don't go anywhere. But if you do, uh, don't or whatever, you know, because it was, it was very like, it was like kind of like a, like, don't leave your house, but also you can go anywhere and, and do whatever. And a lot of people here kind of ignored it. Was it more, was it a little strict, stricter there or what, what, what was this, what was it like? I'd say people uh, adhered to it quite strongly. I mean, I know for sure not everyone did. And, and I can, you know, me, me too. I mean, uh, I, uh, I went out and did stuff and, you know, if, if I wanted to go and drive around and look for plants on the, the plant tips and stuff, I would just do it. And I was effectively on my way to get bread or what have you, but um, yeah, I, the lockdowns, I think people were really good here. They were prepared to give it a shot, see, see if we could see if it worked. And I, I, I think, I hope, I hope we were all at this point now where we figured out that it was more destructive to do that than probably just to have just had other precautions and measures and not done that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to say for sure, but I mean, definitely it, 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 it didn't, <laughs> maybe there's no right way to handle a global pandemic. I don't, I don't know, you know? Yeah. yeah. I feel like the, and what I tell my friends from back home is that what, I feel like what made it a little bit easier here than what I gather the experience was in a lot of uh, the parts of the U.S. is that it felt like everybody sort of pushed in the same direction, whether or not it was like the most effective strategy or not. Everybody sort of was on board with the program and that just made it, it made things feel a little less kind of tense and um, and and threatening i guess they didn't really need to police it at all or, or i mean the police seemed to disappear i mean they hardly it's very minor policing in portugal particularly compared to the u.s very minor presence uh, which somehow seems to work funnily enough yeah um, but they they really didn't need to, to police it i don't think it was uh people were were you know yeah there's no said pulling together which was you know it's nice to see. I've I've talked with a lot of musicians who tell me that it, it felt great to, you know, despite the despite the uh, the catastrophe element and despite all of the terror that was very real, it felt nice for a lot of people to finally have a moment to be off the road to settle down to have establish some sense of of calm you know because a lot of musicians that's just that's not how it works you're constantly on the road you're constantly moving was it that yeah. was it that way for you guys or are you both i mean you guys both keep maybe a slightly lower profile i mean how did you feel having that time uh you know 
not being able to do shows, not being able to sort of do the normal music business thing. I mean, did it feel freeing in any ways for you guys? Because this record sounds like there is a sense of just, like I said, exuberance, you know, but that might not be have anything to do with the circumstances in which it was created. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't for me, I would say. I uh, I did not enjoy the lockdown at all. Um, even though I'm kind of like a hobbit, I like to be at home a lot. It was still... Uh, you are actually on the road quite a lot. I mean, most years you're at two or three times doing different... If it's not Animal Collective, it's Panda Bear and stuff. Yeah, I just... I, I guess I didn't feel like myself, you know? So, was it the I, best? I, but it also... I feel like I think a, a lot of the exuberance for me or like the positivity about the thing came from trying to fight through how dark and rough it felt and just tr trying to think of ways that maybe we could uh, make things better, I guess. Create a stronger medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating because I do think you know well so part of the so it's the record started in the lockdown right but eventually you guys were able to get together physically and work on it right yeah there was about five or four or five months i want to say at the beginning where it was just pete would send me like it was probably 30 or 40 loops and then i would just kind of choose the ones that i would ha have sort of an immediate reaction to or or idea for and uh I would just kind of do a song at a time and send it to him to see what he thought. And um, then I think four or five months later, the lockdowns were, the restrictions were quite a bit less so we could start getting together. And that's where we did a lot of like the percussion and overdubs and started working more on like the arrangements of stuff. Did it, did it was still locked down when we did that. We were still in was lockdown. It? When I was coming to Lisbon, yeah, yeah, it was. I had to, uh, you know, self-certificate myself every day for going to work and stuff. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we were weaving in and out of lockdowns through the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it kind of came and went. How, how far are you guys from each other? About a 30-minute drive. That's not so twenty five minute train ride, something like that. Yeah, that's not so bad. That gives you time to listen to mixes on the way over or whatever. <laughs> or maybe that's not what you do. It's a beautiful drive as well. The train ride and the drive. Uh, I mean, Portugal is a really interesting, beautiful country to look at in many different ways, architecturally and decor wise. And I mean, the, the, as you get the train into Lisbon, the, there's apartment blocks, whole apartment blocks that are tiles multicolored tiled which is a thing that people have done here on houses traditionally for years but to see apartment blocks done like that is is, is a interesting look so yeah yeah i like that journey it's a nice journey how long have you both lived out there uh i've been here for going on 19 years yeah i didn't even realize it had been that long peter you moved out uh, well, years, seven years it'll be in april i guess it's about six and a half years at the moment yeah and was noah a big influence on your decision to to go out there yeah i would i never really spent uh, i've been to portugal before when i was a kid really but um and i have some strong memories of it but um it was really coming to portugal to work with noah 
on uh, in the tomboy era and also in the Grim Reaper era. Mm. And I just, I just really liked it. You know, it was, uh, it was, you know, uh, we both travel a lot for our work and, you know, you get to see a lot of places all around the world. So it's, uh, you get to notice when things are a little different. And uh, I think Portugal has, has, uh, has that for me. And working with Noah was, yeah, the reason for, for being here and, uh, and deciding then I wanted to, to live here. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it looks beautiful. I've never been. I've seen photos. Looks looks pretty incre- pretty incredible. It looks like a good place to make music, for sure. Yeah, it's cool. I like it a lot. It, it's changed a lot in the, the 20 years I've been here, but uh, it's still really cool. How, how has it changed? When I first got here, I kind of felt like the rest of the world didn't know about it so much. Like there would be tourists, but mainly just for the beaches in August and maybe Christmas or Easter or something like that. Yeah. But uh, now it's kind of just like the whole year and it's people from all over. Like I would rarely meet Americans here or hear English at all at first for maybe the first like seven or eight years I was here. And now in certain neighborhoods, you hear more English than anything else. Yeah. 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 Uh well, you you made it too popular, Noah. This is all that's all on you, man. <laughs> not my fault. But it kind of is actually. It kind of is. It's not. <laughs> you. Uh... I don't accept that. <laughs> it became. I think. I think because you know Spain, the 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 the, the bigger, more well-known brother. Um, everyone knows about Spain, but uh, Portugal somehow always was a well-kept secret. It still is in some ways a well-kept secret. Um, but yeah, for the last 10, 15 years, I know I, I can't remember getting on a, a flight to anywhere where the airline mag didn't have an article. If it wasn't about Lisbon, it'd be about Porto. Yeah. So uh, there's been a long, long uh, assault of this. Uh, <laughs> and in the lockdown, a lot of people looking to change up what they did. A lot of Americans, uh, a lot of Californians um, started moving here. Yeah. So yeah. there's been different waves, but. Yeah, since and since I mean, you know, I guess it's twelve years or something ago, eleven years ago, and I, it's changed drastically since then. Even yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, y- not enough to spoil it. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Uh, you you two have obviously you've collaborated a lot. You already alluded to it, Peter, working together on Tomboy, and then. Panda Bear meets the Grim Reaper, and Noah's on All Things Being Equal. I mean, the partnership has evolved obviously uh the more you've worked together when you guys started making reset did you did you know that it was a gonna be like a a a two like a co-credited panda bear and sonic boom record or did that just sort of you just started making it and then as it went on it revealed that it was kind of a 50 50 kind of thing it we didn't know we didn't really think about it at first we just wanted to make stuff um because it felt like a cool thing to do um i'd say after like three or four songs i was i I really wanted pete to to do some songs and to sing lead on some songs because i especially in my, my experience from animal collective is the i feel like the album's tend to benefit from having different singers and different songwriters it just kind of gives a nice uh there's just sort of an inherent variety to it that i think works 
usually works really good on albums. So, um, and I, I'm just sort of tired of my, my own thing in a way. <laughs> so, uh, I just hoped he would, uh, would do it. And lucky for me, he was down for it. Yeah, we, we, we started off with just, uh, I mean, it was, we, I, 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 you know, I, I didn't really think about how it would be presented type thing, but I had this idea with the loops and for a while didn't really present it to Nerk. So I just thought he probably, I didn't know if he'd be into it or not. I, I didn't know how it would, if it, if it would be his thing or not. So, yeah, it was quite a... It was quite an organic thing. We certainly didn't set out to make an LP. I mean, as Noah said, after after three or four songs, I mean, after two songs, I was already thinking, I hope this is going to be an LP because it was just each time he'd send me a, one of the lutes back with his his song, his his vocal arrangement on it. It was just, it was as I say, medicinal. Really, it just felt so awesome. And I know I was sharing it with some friends as well who were in our lockdown bubble and it just really gave us so much joy it was it was really awesome i think that point we realized this is something that might work like that for other people as well so yeah i love that it maintains one of my favorite things about your past work together i i I always loved that panda bear meets the grim reaper had sort of that like uh like a like a reggae inspired name in terms of the uh uh, the way it's titled and I feel like this is kind of similar right you know because it's like one of those things where it's like do we come up with a new band name do we figure out some project title for this or do we just call it the two of us doing a thing together and I think that's a, a very cool approach you know yeah yeah if you, if you come up with a new name for a project uh, you know you, you good luck taking people with you on that boy <laughs> it's not People think it says, oh, I just, people will get it. Nah, you you might have to spend some time for that to happen. So, yeah, yeah, it was a logical thing, I think, to to do that. I think also there's like a kind of energy to like uh, a lot of ska and rock steady music that both of us like a a whole lot. And um, there's just sort of like a, a juice to it that I think inspired us for these songs or i feel like i can hear it in a lot of these songs yeah so i think if you're called panda bear and sonic boom why wouldn't you use those names it sounds like some sort of crazy <laughs> japanese cartoon or something it's, yeah it's, uh, it does because it- you know, we're used to these names we don't even think anything about it it's just just the name but if you're coming into that fresh it's kind of uh, it's quite an interesting <laughs> yeah name i think yeah it does have sort of a, a manga quality to it i I could see it i could see it yeah i really really like the song living in the after i mean talking sort of about the some of the lyrical qualities and and some of that that darkness like that that one i'd love to hear you guys tell me about kind of where that one came from lyrically uh it feels like it has this sort of when i hear it i hear this sort of it's a very easy thing to do um, I've been really trying to think about anxiety lately and the projection of like, once I do this or once I do this, once I do this, then I'll be able to settle down or I'll be calm or I'll be whatever else. And in a way, you know, that's sort of what I hear when I'm listening to living in the after this, this sort of, uh, 
constant <laughs> refusal to be in the moment and it's completely on accident right because you think what you're doing is somehow pushing you towards what will be the moment anyway i'd love to hear you guys talk about that one that's one of my favorite ones on the record you pretty much nailed it um <laughs> it's just sort of a feeling like like you want to get out of this spinning loop of anxiety and and uh hopelessness but you just can't crack the code. It feels really frustrated, kind of. But there's always this. Uh, I mean, Pete and I had a lot of conversations over the past couple of years about feeling like being really cynical and kind of dark about everything, even though things do feel kind of bleak often. To to be cynical and negative about it just doesn't seem to be helpful at all to anyone. So uh, we wanted to try to present some positivity in the music and in our lives if we could. So I feel like even though, like you said, it's pretty heavy stuff often that we're grappling with, like I wanted to make sure there was always like this uh, kind of encouraging energy or uh, just like a, a hopefulness about the thing because uh, without that, I don't, I don't see how we're going to get out of it, you know? Yeah. I anybody who's listened to this podcast has heard me say this probably to, to their annoyance many times, but I have absolutely been preoccupied, especially leading up to 2020, but around 2016, which obviously here in the U.S. marked kind of like a culmination of a lot of stuff uh, com <laughs> coming. I think, I think now you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and on a global scale, obviously, with, with Brexit just shortly before, I mean, I think you yeah. saw a lot of things coming to a head that uh, for a lot of people, I think, blindsided them. Certainly, it blindsided me. It shouldn't have. I should have been able to read the uh, the tea leaves or at least notice the path that we were on, you know, but hindsight is always easier. Um some people have been screaming about it for 50 years or more. People like Buckminster Fuller pointed out every problem and issue that we had a long time ago and, and how we could solve it really as well. It, um, yeah, to, to get ready for this. On a business model, though. Well, no. Well, so you're so right. So to get ready for this talk, I know you're a Bucky Fuller fan. Uh, I loved the interview um, that you did with Aquarium Drunkard a few years ago. Um and you talked about Bucky Fuller, and I, I, I leafed through my copy of Manual for Operating Spaceship Earth, you know, to get ready for this, and awesome. and I thought to myself, you know, that thing you said about cynicism and hopelessness, um, you can't argue that that's not a realistic view, right? Like you, you there, there's a lot of justifiable reasons uh, for being cynical. What I find it doesn't do any good that's Does it, that, that's the thing anything. we can all to, to criticize something is really easy to actually do something positive that might actually change that is tougher but doable still well and i it's easy to just criticize i i think there's like an absolute loss of um of the sort of imaginative capacity that would allow us to when we think about problems like climate change when we think about uh when we think about these absolute threats to existence right like there's a tendency to want to bury your head in the sand or to embrace a kind of cynicism that says there is simply nothing to be done the problem is too massive you know but when you read somebody like bucky fuller you find yourself 
questioning yeah. that. You know, how did how did you get into his work, Peter? And Noah, are you a, a Buckminster Fuller fan at all? I am through Pete. Yeah, the 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 first time I heard of him, and I I was years later. There's a Laurie Anderson song from Big Science where she she talks about uh, Buckminster Fuller. And uh, so I, I was sort of I vaguely aware, but I, I'm not sure where I came across it, actually. It might have been, you know, a YouTube thing or I, uh, I can't remember. I don't I don't remember. Um, I, 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 you know, I remember being very, very happy when I did because it, it was such he did so many interesting things and so many you know, being the godfather of open source and all these things that his idea that, you know, if something was was useful, it would be used and you didn't really, it didn't have to all be structured around a business model. It would all take care of itself. If it was a truly useful thing, you know, you wouldn't actually, uh, you, you don't need to always sell these things and things like the geodesic dome and stuff. Where I'm sure it's sort of, you know, him consulting on projects for things like that, even though the whole thing was was a free help yourself deal, uh, I, I proved him right, absolutely right, and he created something that was really a useful uh, thing. So, um, but it's also you know people say, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. It's like, well, you have been doing something about it in the opposite direction. We all have. And maybe it was, you know, it, inadvertently and, and not on purpose and just generally maybe not thinking about some of the details sometimes um, that we could, you know, most of our problems sociologically and ecologically are created by humans. And mo all of us uh, have some in a tiny way. Uh, everyone did a little bit going in and if everyone does a little bit going out, you know, I think we can, uh, that's how we do it. But uh, you can't, there's no one's going to come along and fix it. There'll be no Messiah that will come along and have the answer. You know, it, it really does take people to have some consideration of it, of the, what their part of in the scheme of it is. Yeah, recognition of the co the communal or the interconnected versus the individual. You know, you got to be, I guess, yeah. a, 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 not forgiving yourself things. And you think, oh well, if it's just me doing it, ah, it would be all right because there's billions of people doing that and thinking like that. Yeah, and I I analogize it with with gardening. You know, I I have I've grown to to love the weeds that grow in the garden. I grow some prize weeds, and sometimes have some of the most beautiful flowers. And if you take weeds out of your garden, just you, uh, whatever. But billions of people doing it. That's why we're losing all our insect species because we have this strange obsession that we're the kings of nature, and we should be, you know, defining how everything is and how square squared off it is and how flat and smooth and it, it's kind of insane really yeah yeah but it's a slow slow we slowly got there and now we know what the problems it creates i think we have to all of us have to do a little bit on these things yeah absolutely absolutely well, to get back a little bit to to 
to reset. Peter, so you mentioned the loops that this record started with. Um, and that was you taking 50s and 60s records from your from your collection. People like and others as well. Up to I think the, the, the one of the latest ones was like a Devo track from the late 70s. There were, there were a bunch, but those the ones that happened to to sync with Noah by chance were and he didn't know when they were from. Um, so it was, uh, I guess he had, a, he would have had a sense from listening to them, but yeah, that was kind of one of the nice things that, um, yeah, we didn't really, I just presented them as they were. And then he took them as he found them, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, well, we should take this from here or oh, this is the, so it was, yeah. I, I think I found myself as, over the last couple of years, like I've, I've really gravitated towards like the Everly brothers, you know, and, and there are moments where obviously samples aside, there are some sort of Everly brothers -y moments on the record, you know, obviously shot through with your guys's very particular and far out sensibilities as well. You're not doing straight, you know, <laughs> uh, when will I be loved kind of stuff, but there's a lot of qualities to, I mean, one of my favorite things about the Everly Brothers is the way their voices, it, it, it can be very difficult to distinguish who's who at times. And uh, and you almost stop hearing them as two voices and hear them just as one super voice. And that's a thing yeah. that happens on, on this record, too. Although I can generally tell which one of you is singing, say, a lead, the lines really start to blur, and it really doesn't feel that 50-50 thing comes into to play again. You know, this is not a Panda Bear record. It's not a Sonic Boom record. It's a Panda Bear and Sonic Boom record, which is such a cool, such a cool thing. But I wonder about those early loops, you know, uh, what inspired you to start making those? What was the, what was the impetus for that? I, I always really loved that era. And one of the loops is Everly Brothers, by the way, it's from uh, Love of My Life, Danger is Love of My Life, mm -hmm. the loop. I just always, my my parents were big Everly Brothers. You know, they used to go, when I was a kid, I remember them going to see the Everly Brothers a bunch. I guess they, they toured endlessly into the 70s and stuff. But um, I always really liked that era of music. I always, I, I think the changes in rock and roll, I, it's super simple, super, you know, exactly what's going to happen. But there's something about it. Um, but I... I sort of, over the years, kept, and I, I guess at some point I, I realized that electronic stuff and rock and roll was something that hadn't really been uh, explored that much. There's a few freaky things out there, but mostly by the time synths and electronics came in, that era had, had come to an end, really, or that era of music, or at least, the, you know, the... the so um, I, it was partly that, and um, I just knew that there was magic in those. I just hear those opening couple of chords of Love of My Life, or I mean, the Everly Brothers have loads of songs that I feel like that about. And it would just, even before those awesome voices came in, it would just sort of take me somewhere. And I thought, okay, there's a, these are kind of a, in some ways, an idiom that. People, some people might actually recognize, or not recognize, but actually straight away they they have some um, some instant connection with it, and to be able to build on that. So yeah, yeah. Noah, when you were getting these batches of loops, 
were there any particular quality qualities that would draw you to one over say another or, or how did it how did it i mean what was it like uh it was really just the ones that i felt like i responded to immediately there were so many of them that uh i felt like i didn't if i found one that that i had an idea for or that sort of like a melody kind of I would usually just listen to them a couple times in a row. And if I had a melody that came into my head while I was listening to it in one of those first listens, I would just kind of start in on that one like that, that day. And hopefully I, I might not have all the, the lyrics done by the end of the day, but generally it would be about a day uh, that I would work on the, the, the singing. And then it was just kind of editing that a little bit over the next couple of days before I'd send it back to Pete. But it was really just what felt like kind of immediately inspiring to me. Uh, I just sort of followed my nose with it, which is generally how I do things, I guess. Yeah, in that Pitchfork interview that I referenced earlier, I think you, you said something along the lines of how it's like a, not a self-conscious uh, process for you, generally speaking. You don't, you don't necessarily map out, here's where I'm at and here's what this means to me. You just kind of start in on it. I love the Animal Collective record from this year as well, Time Skiffs, and it, it feels similarly, like, uh, uh, unselfconscious. I don't know if it feels that way to you, but I sense, like, kind of a, a quality that goes between the two records in terms of you being pretty instinctual, if that, I don't know if that resonates. Yeah, yeah, I think especially with Reset, uh, there was a feeling of kind of um, being uninhibited uh we just wanted to have fun and do stuff that felt good uh, um yeah time skiffs was a little bit i'd say more uh like labored for, for me but um I, I do know what you mean as far as it i think the fact that we weren't in a studio for time skips perhaps like it was just kind of on our own time and in our own spaces so there there wasn't that kind of like feeling of pressure so much yeah um although i, I did redo all the drums over the course of like two days so that was kind of a pressure cooker but uh generally um there was just like a lot of kind of freedom and and time with both things that i think perhaps contributed to uh it feeling kind of less uh severe in a way Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. On the topic of these loops and sort of the 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 space that they evoke, uh, there's another great interview with Mark Mark Hogan, 
you guys did about time skiffs actually and your bandmate david was talking about how he's interested in how <laughs> time relates to music and how songs are almost sort of vehicles for a kind of time travel in a certain sense and i wonder if mm-hmm. the two of you have had any similar discussions about this like uncanny quality where you can collapse years i mean sometimes i'm listening to a song that i remember hearing when i was 22 and i don't feel like i remember being 22 i feel like i felt in the moment when i was 22 you know what i mean uh, and i wonder mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. i wonder if that's something that the two of you have ever you know discussed music can take fingerprints from your life that will always be there when you come back to to it which is one of its magical things i think once you if you resonate with something in a certain space or with certain people i think you you, you they become you know melded in some ways yeah sometimes i'm kind of unpleasant ways as well i mean sometimes there's songs or albums that i listen to a lot during like a really rough time and i kind of can't ever return to them because it brings me back to that place in a way yeah yeah on the on the 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 songwriting thing i I just wanted to say when the i mean i I feel everything you know I, i think a lot of people did some really good work during the lockdown i think it really um underlying stuff for people in a really uh, good way that good stuff will come of that even though it's tough thing and as the songs are coming through from noah i was uh it was really impressive to hear the you know that he that he writes it that quickly uh it doesn't sound like it when you hear the tracks it sounds like it doesn't sound super thought out but it doesn't sound like the product of just doing it sort of thing and yeah straight away you know this is one of the reasons again it was really medicinal for me the the songwriting i think on this record is just awesome i i think it's really he was hitting new peaks and also vocally i think um uh, yeah it was really nice and really slow evil and also with our voices and the melding like that and you know we, we tried to do some stuff where we really had contrast and i would really take low things so mm-hmm. that it would really widen that contrast but um yeah it was it was really nice to find that we could i mean uh, yeah also no, on the topic of, of time i feel like like the fact that there's these old sounding samples um but at the same time we didn't want to do something that felt like retro or old right um in fact we wanted to kind of give it sort of like a a futuristic kind of or sort of like trying to imagine what something in the in the future could be like uh or present sort of like a different road or a new road or new path or something like that so it's kind of funny in a way that there's this representation of the old and the present in that we were working on it in the present of course and then there's also sort of like a, a looking forward so we're kind of like connecting uh all time yeah i i i uh that that uh, i said it before but uh it's 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 sort of reminiscent of of a a past that never existed and hankering after a future that never will yeah it's in weird timeless space where it it it, it has has a decade spanning (laughs) sort of thing to it which is I, i think is awesome i really like it and i think that was really important that we 
did keep it like that and put, trying, you know, not trying to be retro at all. And I mean, you know, it's, the songs are very much Pan the best songs. This, the songs that he wrote, it, 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 it's not like trying to do something else. But in the context of that, re re resetting the jewel, as it were, in a different setting, and it's yeah, really uh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think so much about how really quality that I am drawn to in both of your work is that recontextualization of of sounds and sort of juxtaposition of these qualities or these tones or perhaps these you know uh, uh production effects that we associate with say the 50s or the 60s or whatever the 70s hearing that sort of taken out of that original context fashioned into new context it does create this weird unmoored from time zone you know where it's it's i love that idea of a past that never never existed that's what the past is really for all of us right there is there is no past or future (laughs) there there is there is only present i think i think i think the theory of relativity is partly uh, uh, encapsulates that uh yeah but uh, but our perception of it we have a perception of of things of course there is no future because whatever you can perceive as the future you have no the could all end tomorrow could a meteorite could hit us and blammo so the past is slightly different because it's our memory of of of, of uh, a present that that was before so yeah it's interesting how our brains can do that really i don't think I, I i i think most animals i don't think they i suspect that most of it is to do with what they need to remember to survive they found food somewhere they'll they will never they'll never walk by that spot without checking yeah they'll always there was something there again uh, I mean, these cats around here are like that, so I imagine it's like that with most animals. That's that's the that's the way my dog. That's the way one of my dogs definitely is. He's found some. He found he found a chicken bone one time while we were walking him, and he constantly will check that that spot in the neighbor's yard to see. I wonder if there's any chicken bones over here. Um, but no, you're. I think the pandemic, and I think that the lockdowns and the weird way that we've all spent the last couple of years, you know, um, has really challenged people's perceptions of time or, or given us all an opportunity to consider what time is and the sort of nonlinear, uh, qualities of it. Uh, and, and, and for me, the time I've spent with music has really underscored that. And I have become just deeply interested in this idea of music as a sort of kind of time, um, like a lens through which we can really think about what time. You can change your perception of it because time really only exists in our perception, right? That's why it can slow down, speed up. And again, I think, I think uh, Einstein will tell you it is elastic. Right, right. It's not a linear thing. Right. It's, it, it, we measure it as a linear thing in seconds and hours. And, but uh, yeah, I mean, it has a, a, these are all our definitions of it, aren't they? A cycle of the planet being a day and uh, a cycle being a year and all these different things. So, yeah. that That's another thing that I find interesting about these loops that you made, because that's kind of an interesting way of looking at a segmented sort of like, I assume that these loops 
were varying in length. Is that is that right? Yeah, he would send them to me, and I figured that he had he had chosen a certain amount of time that felt like the prop, like the right amount of time to listen to that particular loop. So I really wanted to try to fit in um, like the kind of blueprints for the vocal and sort of map out the song in such a way that it fit perfectly into the amount of time that he sent. I think he's pointed out that there was one, I think living in the after I did do like an edit on, but the rest of them, I would just kind of try to figure out a way to insert a song into the, the audio file that he had sent me. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. You mentioned that you would often have at least the basis of a song in like a day, right? Uh huh. You know. Yeah, generally. Do you is I mean, what what are the, do you have tactics or practices that you engage in in order to sort of be able to get in that zone where you can you can create something that does as I agree with Peter very much that it doesn't sound like uh, off the top of your head riffing necessarily. It has a composed feeling. It's very interesting to me that that comes out fairly quickly and without too much, you know, mediation. Uh, where, I mean, has, is that a thing where over the, the last couple of years you've become more in that zone or has that always been a part of the way you make music, a sort of like quick, direct, you know, path or whatever? Yeah. It's, it's always kind of been that way for me. I think, um, I'd say over the, over the past like 10 years, I've gotten way, way more behind the idea of like just constantly working um, and not really worrying about the, the quality of it. I feel like the important thing is to be working so that when sort of inspiration hits, you're kind of on the ground running already. So sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I feel like the time that we were doing this was just sort of like a good there was just a, it was just sort of in the ether or something, you know, it was just in the air. Um, and I just had a couple of good ones in a row, I feel like, but it's not always like that. Most of the time it's just dog shit. So <laughs> but most of the, 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 nearly everything that was done on the record was done in a very instinctive, none of it was planned out. We just did instinctively what we felt and, you know, the, the way Noah, would, you know, what he would do with the percussion elements and things like that it was just like what he felt, or the, uh, the the bass, which is Noah as well on all the tracks. Again, it was it was just kind of the first thing that he came up with, pretty much on most of the things, and then just figuring some little change or something in it. And it was all really instinctive. And I think we were both, I think we both are in a, a place after however many long. You know, however many years making records where we've sort of refined what we go to instinctively we both have you know a good sense of what we're trying to do and what 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 we'll like and what we want to do so and it just seemed really really natural and some of the stuff when when we were doing it i was like okay we have the placeholder and we can figure it out later and then go back and listen to it and go no actually that's it that that the first instinctive thing however simple or whatever it is is just really feels right so it was yeah it was very 
Yeah, luck. Got a lot of luck. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of luck and uh, accumulated uh, accumulated luck from working with other people and you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think having some skills. I mean, I'm definitely drawn to that notion that first thought, best thought sort of thing, or you know that like what happens sometimes without effort uh, or or yeah, you know. Some I won't let someone if if I have someone coming in to record I, I they go oh, let me run through it a couple of times before you record it so even if I say those yeah are always, those record. are always the best ones yeah and and even even if it's not perfect you already can see you know what they instinctively were tripping over as they went through it amongst it will be the juice of the thing probably and just trying to, to trying to work it out too quickly you can lose a lot of really awesome juice that way and you end up with some sort of dithered down yeah. thing. It's really nice to get that first first instinct on things. Yeah, I mean, I think... What? Oh, go ahead, Noah. Well, I was just going to say, it's something I've noticed doing like takes in the studio a lot is like somewhere in the first three, there's just kind of like a... I think it's a combination of focus and... Uh, not kind of tripping over yourself yet that it makes it really good and if you can get it in one of those first three or four i feel like those are always the best and then you go through this wasteland of like take five through like 28 or so where it's like everybody's in their own head so much with it that they're not really like just like playing anymore you're kind of thinking about playing rather than just doing it and then you get so kind of uh, you get tired of that after a while. And then suddenly there's this like take 30 through, I don't know, 35 or so. There's like suddenly this new kind of thing. <laughs> if you can break through the the wasteland that you've been through before. But generally I feel like the first, the first couple are always like, there's just like a special thing about, about those. Yeah. I agree. And even on, on All Things Being Equal, there's a couple of songs on there where the take is the first time I sung that song to the, I'd sort of like to dam up the energy and then, and you know, get something that really feels instinctive. And sometimes I get lucky with it straight away and then just fix a few bits and do some more takes. So I have some, some um, choice in fixing things if I have to. But yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's good. Yeah, it's a good way to. I like that. I like that thing you're yeah. you're talking about, sort of focusing on the the idiosyncrasies of early takes. I have a friend, Michael Krasner, who plays music, and he once told me that in the studio, anytime an artist asks him to turn a part down, he uh, will like zoom in on that part and like listen to it and be like you're asking me to turn down the part that's the most interesting, that's the most captivating. So he's like, I like to kind of like work with artists to understand that that, that thing, yeah. that, that thing that makes you nervous is probably the thing that is somehow striking or somehow, you know, captivating. And so Peter, you, you, um, with the phenomena, David Bowie summed it up as someone asked him when he, how did he know in the past uh, when something was, you know, when he's doing heroes or one of his big hits, how, how did he know at the time that something was happening? 
he said uh, uh, he'd come to realize that whenever he uh, is in the studio and working, whenever he felt a little bit out of his depth and his feet couldn't touch the floor and it was a little scary, he said, those were always the moments. Yeah, yeah. Were there moments like that in, in this with this record? For me, it's like in the studio, for, uh, speaking for me, like doing vocals. and things, I It's a tough process for me to be in the studio because I because you're trying to figure out uh, just a lot of self-questioning about the part and trying to trying to decide about things and and uh yeah i i think it's uh it shouldn't be it shouldn't always feel like it. it's i'm sure i think it's probably totally different for noah but for me it's um doing vocals for example it's a really uncomfortable experience but i know when i, I feel like that, that it's actually going to be good so it's a really it's a strange thing yet yeah, noah you encouraged peter to to sing on this record peter you haven't mm -hmm. you know obviously over the last couple of years now you've done a couple of records where you're singing which is uh, a a cool a cool shift aside from the feeling out of your depth um has it been has it been fun sort of doing i love the way your voice sounds on both records uh and and it's it's a really cool thing and i'm really glad that you push for that now technology is a magnificent thing <laughs> <laughs> uh no thank you yeah um yeah it's uh yeah i you know, I always had this thing that I didn't really want to make a record unless I sort of felt there was something worth saying or some reason to do it for at the time. And I felt inspired enough to, and yeah, with these, it was, it happened. Yeah. For sure. Well, before I let you guys go, uh, it, have you guys started figuring out how you're going to present these songs live? Or are, have you, are you going to play any shows? What's the, what's the process like for that? We're going to start actually next week trying to figure out how to do that. But generally, I think we're trying to do something really minimal and super mobile. Um, cool. Streamlined, very, very basic and simple. Um, it won't be like a, a big band or anything like that. Um, just trying to keep it as kind of minimal and, and simple and mobile as we can. But beside, beyond that, we are, we're not totally sure. I think after next week, we'll know a lot more about how it's going to be. As of right now, is it just the two of you? Yeah, it'll just be the two of us. Cool. I think, you know, the idea is just to be able to, the easier it is to do and the, the less infrastructure that's needed to do it. I mean, you know, within, within reason, um, the more likely we are to be able to get around to different places and, and have fun doing it and, you know, uh, you know, it, the bigger the production it is, you know, usually the longer tours you have to do and the, the whole economic of the thing is really different. I think it's it makes sense, especially, you know, in, in these times particularly to, to have something we can go out and present this and it's just the right level of it. Yeah. Well, you're working with great, great songs and great ideas, so I don't imagine it will be too too tough to come up with that uh and i really appreciate the two of you taking the time to speak with me this this well it's afternoon for you all it's morning for me but i appreciate it very much likewise thank you us too yeah thank you man thanks for talking to us you took it out but you can put it back 
I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce Transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Visual design by Daryl Norson. And the show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. If you're a fan of Transmissions, please leave us a rating, uh, a review, uh, click subscribe, do whatever you can to spread the word. If you want to take your support a step further, Aquarium Drunkard is on Patreon. We put all sorts of cool bonus stuff up there, and that's the best way for you to support this podcast. We're a part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Next week on the show, I'm talking with guitarist Delicate Steve. I hope you'll come back. This transmission is concluded. Yeah.